0: There is no shortage of investment advice that you can get in our culture today. It seems like there's always a commercial, an ad on social media, or uh, you know something maybe in print somewhere where it's like, hey, invest your money here, park money here, watch it grow, make money. And so there's all sorts of things you can do, right? You can invest in real estate, you can invest in... CDs, I don't even I know what that is, but there's a thing you can buy. It's not the music things. I was real confused about that. The old music disc, it's not that. Um, you can invest in CDs, you can put money into mutual funds, and, and there's all this stuff out there. And some of it's confusing to understand like, what, it, what, what, it, what am I doing with my money, and where would that go, and, and how does that pay off? How does that work? Um, some of it's a little clearer. I heard, a, I heard an ad recently, and it was telling me uh, that I should invest in gold. And I was like, now that I can understand, right? Like, I'm picturing like gold bars because I've seen Indiana Jones and I know what gold bars look like. You know, they're going to be like the kind of square bar and I'm like, I'll invest in that. I don't know what I'm going to do though. If I buy gold bars, what do I do with them? Like, do they just sit in my house and become worth more or something? Like, do I put them under my bed? Like, I don't really know. Um what you do with gold bars. Do I put them in a Swiss bank account? And why are there Swiss bank accounts? Why do the Swiss have all the bank accounts? And what what is there? If I put my gold bars in, is there like some vault in Switzerland I could put my gold bars where only like me and Jason Bourne could get in there and like look at them? Like that sounds cool. I don't know. I think it would be, I want like Gold bars in a vault in in Switzerland with like a bunch of fake passports in there as well, or something, and maybe a gun and like cash i don't I don't know it's just a thing i don't it's weird um, but but there's all these things that you can like invest in and when we talk about um, investing uh because I, I, what I want to talk about today is is like the last thing we can do with our money or we've been talking about you can spend money on sort of lifestyle things. Um, Of course, you could spend money on taxes. As Tover talked about last week, you can save money, and that brings up some challenges for us and everything. You can also invest money, and and I would also say you can give money away. So you could give money away charitably, and I want to talk about that and how it lines up with the concept of investing. So we think of investing as, as part of saving, but investing is also part of our, uh, uh, can be part of the way we give money away. Uh, It's just a different kind of investment. See, when we think of investment, we think ROI, right, Return. On investment, so you say. If I put this amount of money in, how much will it grow to over time? How does compound interest work, and what is this money going to be worth over time if I drop it into this place? Um, and that's a good thing to know. It's important to understand for if you're going to save, if you want to do retirement or anything like that, if you're saving for later times in life, it, it is good to know how that stuff works. But I think for followers of Jesus, and I know that's not everybody in the room, but for this message, that's that's where I'm, I'm gearing my thoughts for followers of Jesus. We have to think bigger about money and we have to think bigger about investment and about how we are pouring money out and where we are giving it and what we are doing with it. Because money is, it's a tool, right? Like a, a hammer is a tool and with a hammer you could build a house or you could like bludgeon somebody to death, right? Like though it's the same tool. It's just, are you going to use it for good or evil? That really, that really varies depending on what you're doing with it. And I think there's something similar with money. Um, money has a way of being attached to our hearts. We've talked about that in this series. And so we need to look very closely at, at what we're doing with our money, how we spend it, how we save it. And, and maybe a, on, a, on a bigger picture as well, we need to really think about how we give money and, and what does it look like to invest money in causes that are greater than ourselves. Now, I've mentioned before in this series that Jesus taught about money more than anything else. He, he, he's talking about it all the time. And the reason he talked about it is that in the ancient world, as in our world today, it's a big deal for people. How much you have, how much you don't have, how can I get more, what am I going to do with it, how do I keep track of it, all that kind of stuff. And so Jesus taught on it a lot, and he tells a famous parable that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 16. And it is, um, it's, it's weird that, that he tells this parable And so it's a story that he's telling to an audience, and it has like a trick ending to it, right? So there's kind of a surprise ending to to the way this goes. And 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 he he ends it with a a really bizarre statement um, that that should challenge us in the way we think about how we give money or what we're using it for. So I want to pick it up in Luke chapter 16. We will start with verse 1. So he's teaching his disciples, and he says this. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager... And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. All right, so there's a a wealthy man that's so wealthy, he has other people to look after his money, that's, that's the level of wealth here. He's like, I got someone who just takes care of all my money and makes sure that my investments are good and takes care of my business dealings. So this is a pretty wealthy dude. And he calls and he's heard that the, the, the money manager has been has been squandering this or has not been handling it well. He hears a report of this. He calls the guy in and he's like, hey, what, what, what am I hearing about you um, you you've You've been mismanaging my money, uh, and let me see the books and basically he sets up a situation where and this is weird he's like i'm going to fire you just not right now so the guy retains his job briefly, as you'll see here in a second, um, but he knows the game is up like i can't I can't keep this job anymore right so it's kind of a, a kind of weird situation it's not like you know, go pack your desk and HR will escort you out of the, out of the building. It's not like that. It's like, hey, you're messing up my, with my money and I want you to leave, but, but hang on. So verse three, it, here's what happens. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. All right, basically the, this is a sort of a time-sensitive thing. The guy is basically saying, what shall I do now? Like, I only have a little bit of time left. What am I going to do so that uh, I'm going to be okay, so that I can take care of my, I need like my, there's no such like, thing as a golden parachute in that day or whatever. It's like, it's not severance. It's like, I'm going to be cut off soon. What am I going to do? And he takes an honest assessment of himself. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to dig. Dig is the, digging is, is the most physically demanding labor in the ancient world. And he's like, I'm not strong enough. I'm not that guy who's like going to be out there digging trenches. I'm too proud to beg So I'm not going to be just on the street just saying, please give me money or whatever. I'm not going to go that route. I've got to figure out a plan. And then he says, okay, I I think I know what I'm going to do so that when I'm out of this job, people are going to welcome me into their their home and it's going to go well. So he has a, a little bit of time left as money manager that he's going to use here. And he sees in this a little bit of opportunity to do something about it to do something about a situation. And we're going to see how this all ties into uh, giving and and, and investing here in a moment. So look at verse 5, what happens. So, summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another and how much do you owe? And he said, hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. Now that's interesting. So he's still in charge of the books before he gets fired here. And he's calling in people who owe his master money. And he's lowering their bill with, their, with them together. Like, oh, you owe a hundred. Now you're just going to owe 80. Now you're, now you're just going to owe 50. Um, we would argue uh, that's not his to-do. That's not his place to do that. Um, he's kind of doing a, almost like a shady deal, it seems like here. Um, and, and as you read it, it says 100 me- measures. Some translations will say 100 baths of oil. Some of it will translate it into what a number we would know, so it'll say eight or 900 gallons of oil, of olive oil. Um, and so that's sort of a, a, a currency in the ancient world. And I'm sitting there going like, I don't know how much 800 gallons of olive oil is worth now or in the ancient world. I know how much a little bottle of Kroger is, but after that I have no idea like the the value of olive oil, right? Well, enter a man named Klein Snodgrass who did the research and wrote about it for us, and he wrote this. The amount of the debt's is very large, although suggestions of the exact figures vary. 100 baths of oil would be equivalent to about eight or 900 gallons. The yield of possibly 150 olive trees, an equivalent to the wages of about three years for the average worker. 100 core of wheat would be almost 1,100 bushels, probably enough to feed 150 people for a year. The produce of... 100 acres and equivalent to seven and one half years of labor for the average worker. And here's the point. In each case, the steward reduced the bill by the same amount, about 500 denarii, or the wages of more than two years for a day laborer. The parable tells of large business dealings. None of the people involved are poverty stricken peasants or even people with average incomes. So he brings in his master's debtors. And they say, how much do you owe? And they're like, oh, I owe, you know, basically 800 gallons of olive oil. And he's like, that's a lot. Can you pay that back? No, man, I can't. Like, times are tough. There's been layoffs at Capital One. Uh, You know, like, it's been, everybody's struggling. Everyone's hard out there right now. This is not good. I don't know what I'm going to do. I I can't pay back 800. That's just so much. He's like, okay, cool. How much can you pay back? I could probably do half of that. All right, let's make it half, and we'll just call it even. And you got to think when half of your debt like that is wiped away, that you as the debtor, you're like really appreciative, right? You're like, man, like, thank you. That's incredible. He's like, no problem. And, and, you, and you, you, you sort of wonder, it doesn't say this, but you sort of wonder as the, as the debtors are walking out, out the door after they've just had their bill cut in half, if they turn around and they say to the money manager, like, dude, if you ever need any favors, you just look me up. I'm your, I'm your guy. And that manager's like, oh, I, I will. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yes, I will keep that in mind. Same thing with another guy. Brings another guy in. He's like, hey, cut your bill down. Same, same sort of deal. Dude, you are, you are the man. Thank you so much. You ever need anything, you come see me. And he's like, I will be couch surfing at your place in about two weeks. You know, like, he's, he's putting together this plan. Like, I am going to use this financial transaction here. And I'm going to get myself some friends out of this thing before, before I go. Um, and so this guy sees that he only has a little bit of time. And he has a little bit of opportunity. And he basically uses that time and that opportunity to, like, buy some friends. Right? Which is weird. Now, think about if you originally heard this story, and maybe the way you hear it now, you would think that the master is going to find out about this and, like, bring some, you know, put the smack down on the guy. Like, you did what with my money? You made these bills what? Like, get out of here right now, right? You would think that's how this story should end. If there is any justice in the world, if they, but, It's not a thing that actually happened, right? Jesus is just describing a situation, a a parable, he's telling a story. But you would think, man, so I imagine if you're one of the first hearers of the story as Jesus is telling it, you're sitting there thinking, oh, that dude is gonna get it? He is in so much trouble. I I can't believe it. Can you believe he's just like wiping debts out that's not his to forgive? Like, look what he's doing. And then Jesus adds the twist, the punchline to the end of the story, verse eight. The master... Commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. The master comes in and is like, All right, I don't know if I agree with that, but that was pretty smooth, bro. Like, you are a shrewd dude. Good job, you. You, you managed to work this angle. Um, that's, that's pretty impressive. And this parable's got to throw people for a loop when you hear it, because when Jesus would tell a parable, you would hear it, and maybe as you listen to it, you would hear it and you would go like, okay, this is like a spiritual story, so who's the master? I guess maybe that's God. All right, who am I in the story? Am I one of the debtors? Am I the manager? Um, Is there a way, like, I'm a master also? Like, you're trying to put yourself in the story and figure out how all this works, and just when you think maybe you've got it as the story's going along, you're like, oh, I, I see where he's going. I'm picking up what Jesus is laying down. Like, he's, he's telling the story. He twists it here at the end and says, actually, no, he was commended for, for what he did. Um, and that's, that's weird. Well, I think Jesus knows that his audience would know and that we would know, like, this is weird. This is a weird ending of the story. So he goes on to explain it right away. Let me read 8 again and we'll look at 9 as well. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And he says, for the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, this is weird, all right? It's one of the weirdest things Jesus ever said. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. What? (laughs) All right. Okay, so part of my job as a preacher is that I read commentaries and I look at historically, like, what have people said about this and whatever. Um, I don't think people know what to do with this statement. Like, it is it is an odd thing. Um, reading more commentaries and maybe little footnotes in your Bible, if you have one of the study Bibles or whatever, it doesn't often make this much better. It is just a weird thing because... I know we, I, I, because if we all said, like, use your money to buy friends, everybody in this room would be like, uh, that's terrible. But it sure sounds like Jesus says, use your money to buy friends, doesn't he? Like, I'm pretty much, and, and, but, but I think the key is he does connect it to this eternal dwelling. He says, unrighteous wealth, just however you got your money or whatever, he's, he's making some connection to eternal Dwellings and he's saying use the money that you have, even your, your dollar bills, you know, your your coins, whatever, use that money to influence relationship for eternal purposes. Don't just use your money for you right now. Don't think that short term about your money. Somehow, and I don't know exactly how, but somehow, how you spend money and what you do with it has implications in. Eternity. How how you spend money here has implications there. And Jesus is trying to get us to take a very long view of money. We tend to think long view is like I need to plan for forty years from now when I retire or thirty years, twenty, whatever. We think that's long view. And Jesus is like that's not even long enough. It's way longer than that. We're talking about all of history here and 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 beyond after you die. Think eternally. Um, with your money. And that's hard for us because we live paycheck to paycheck. We think about money in terms of next Friday and next month and how am I going to? And sometimes when money's tight, that's the way it is and you just sort of live in that space of like, man, I can't even I can't think long term. I certainly can't think eternally about my money. I got to get through next week. And so one of the ways we've applied this this idea of taking a long view of money. as I want to talk about it as a church, and then I'll talk about us personally, like how we would do this. But as a church, one of the ways we've tried to imply it, uh, apply this is to take money that is given to this church and use it for things that have eternal value. So the church exists, this church, any church that follows Jesus really exists for the same reason. We're all here to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to help people get to know Jesus and be in a relationship with God through him. That's why we're here. It's not much more complicated than that. Now, the way we say it in, in, this, in this context at Area 10 is we're transforming lives in the city for the city. God transforms people through this church in this city so that we can reach out and, and pour out into this city. And so when people give money to this church... Let me tell you a little bit about where it goes. 12% of every dollar given to this church goes out to uh, organizations that we partner with locally and globally. So, for example, 12% Uh, a a, a portion of money we give every month to the Barnabas Center. The Barnabas Center is a a counseling center here in town um, and we think that mental health is an important thing and we want to take it seriously and we want to help people. We don't want to just tell people who are dealing with a bunch of stuff like, just pray it away or you'll be, you know, just take two prayers and call me in the morning and you'll be fine. Like, we don't want to do that. We want to get people into relationship where they can grow and be healed of some things. And so the Barnabas Center, we believe in those folks and so we support some of the money we That you give to this church goes there, and we support them. Um, We put money uh, every month into foster care initiatives. Uh, You hear us talk about foster and adoptive care, and we think that's a big deal in this culture. We think that there are a lot of kids in the foster care system uh, through no fault of their own that they're there, and we think it is the responsibility of people of God to step up and love those kids and. Bring them into their homes and and serve them, and try to give them uh, a family either temporarily or or permanently um, and we do that not because um, we just love kids or something like that like we do but but in the church, we believe that man when 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 someone 's life changes you, you, you there's a sense in which you are changing an entire family tree for generations, and so helping kids get into a loving. Supportive, stable home that will point them to Jesus is is a generational changer, and so it's it's a really big deal, and so we give money as a church to uh, support those things. We give a um, uh, percentage of money every month to to support uh, our work overseas. and so um, we partner with an organization in Vietnam called GVI. And GVI is uh, Local Ventures. Uh, they are based out of Texas, but they're also in Hanoi, Vietnam. And we partner with them. We sent a team to Vietnam last month. You'll hear more about them in, in weeks, from, more from them in weeks to come. We send a team every year. We've been doing this. We ra- first raised money to do that in December of 2008. And we've been going every year over to Vietnam. Uh, our, our, our main partnership was with an orphanage, so doing foster adoptive care, that kind of stuff. An orphanage on the outskirts of Hanoi. And we work with the SS3 orphanage. We, t- we build relationship with those kids. Um, there is eternal purpose in mind. We are not just going over there to help some kids when we're not willing to help any kids here. It's not that. We're going there to build relationship in a country that has not had um, a-, a lot of Christian influence and we are building relationships there with kids and with the local workers that are there so that there will be an ongoing relationship so that kids can come to know God and and that generations can be changed there as well. Yes, we are doing that work in Richmond and in the mid-Atlantic and other places but the church has always believed that it's not just our call to stay right here but it's a call to go and and send people out and so um, we've, we've been giving money and we support work in Vietnam. We've got a family from this church. You'll hear more about this later this year that's moving to Turkey, and so we're going to be, we're going to be getting behind them and supporting that. Um, we also partner with an organization called Waypoint. 5% of every dollar given to this church goes to Waypoint. Um, Waypoint is the church planting organization that started Area 10 uh, 11 years ago. So they gave us money to get started, and they are a a, a church planting network. Um, They are connected to about 430 churches in the Mid-Atlantic area, and they're always starting more. And so 5% of every dollar given to this church and over 11 years, that's been a lot of money. That has flowed to Waypoint, and Waypoint has turned around and used that to plant churches all over the Mid-Atlantic which you might be like, I don't care if there's a church planted in Annapolis or somewhere else, but you will care when you move there. And you'll be like, oh, there's actually a good church that's you know similar and, and they have a similar understanding as the church I came from. In fact, we had a family from this church move away this month Um, And they moved to Frederick, Maryland. And they're like, do you know anybody in Frederick, Maryland? And I'm like, yes. Actually, we planted a church in Frederick, Maryland through Waypoint. There's a church up there called Collective that's been running for about three years. And they were started because you guys gave money to this church and we floated out there. And more people are coming to know God and being into a relationship with God in Frederick, Maryland. Because of the work that was done here and because people give here. So we are trying to eternally invest money that has been given to us. We're trying to pour it out for eternal, uh, to eternal causes. Now, as a church, and I don't mean just Area 10, I, all churches should function this way. We are not providing clean water just to provide clean water. We are, we are uh, we're not providing medical relief in Haiti just to provide medical relief. We're not going down and cleaning up before, after a hurricane just to clean up uh, after a hurricane. The church will do this and the church has done this all over the world for, throughout history. But we do it because we believe God loves us and we want to flow that out to other people. We do it because it is a calling from God to love others and to be physical and tangible with that and to show that love and support for others. We are not doing it just for those things. Those, we are not a humanitarian organization we're a faith-based organization, and we believe that when we serve people who are starving and, and hurting and in pain and just in prison, we have people working in prison ministry. They were out there yesterday. Um, we believe that when you are doing that, you are serving Christ himself. He, he said that in Matthew 25, that when we serve people, uh, we, are, we are serving him. And so that's, um, th- that's how our church flows some money out when it is given to us. Um, Let's talk about personal giving, how that works. Uh, our, our family and many families in this church flow money in a very similar way. They give, so of our priorities, you go, I got to pay taxes, I got to buy groceries, I got to pay the mortgage, I'm going to save for, for later, and, 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 all, and all those things. As we put all that together, our family also gives money away. So in my house, we give away 12% of our income. So the way, the way we work this is 10% of the money that we get, we give to this church, and say, okay, this is our local family, the body of Christ. We're going to give 10% of our income to this church. And then 2% above that, we give to other missionaries and other groups that we that we want to support that are doing kingdom work, that are helping people come to know Jesus. So that's how the 12% breaks down in there. We The, the value in our house is to give to things that have eternal value, to give to things that that, uh, that matter eternally, not just things that fix some things here on the surface in, in, in the short term. Um, we believe that as a family, we are not here on earth just to make money and have a good retirement. The point of life is not like pile it up and then for the last couple years you live, I don't know, in the villages in Florida and you know drive the golf cart. Like We think that maybe God has us For our entire lives on Earth, for a a different purpose than that, Um, because so often we think it's just about you know I'll just save enough for retirement and then I've I've won and and we believe in our family Um, that ain't it, Chief. Raising, uh, getting, retiring on a big stack of money is never spoken of in the scriptures as a thing we're supposed to be doing. Um, It's never spoken of as a goal. It's a very modern sort of Western idea. so uh, we believe, and, and that if you're employed and God gives you money, you need to use a portion of that money to bless other people. Um, so that's uh, uh, the way our family has looked at uh, Jesus' call in, in, in Scripture. Now, um, giving is connected to the heart. That's part of the reason we give. Uh, The way money we flow money out, that does something to our hearts. And if you think it's not connected to the heart, think about how people respond to charitable giving amongst politicians when they're running for office. So we're about to go into another election season, and I don't know about you, I have not recovered from 2016. So I'm like, this can't just be around the corner. Like, is this really happening again? Yeah, we're about to. And one of the things you see when people run for office, especially at the highest level of president or whatever, As people be like, I want to see their tax returns. And one of the things people will look at in someone's tax return is how much money do they give away? How, much, how charitable are they? And national average is like 1% or 2%, so it's not, it's not much, right? Well, politicians... you. Oftentimes, knowing that is coming will up their charitable giving to like 4 or 5% just so that when they run, people will look at their tax returns and go, oh, they give 4 or 5%. Look. Because we know instinctively that when someone says, oh, these things matter to me and I care about the suffering, and I care about the hurting people and, and, I'm, and I'm all about the kids and, and the hungry and the whatever, all of the things that we get worked up about, we know there's a difference between saying you care about it and like actually putting your money in it, Right. We would say, put your money where your mouth is, right? And so we look at it and go, because if people aren't giving, we would just say, like, I think there's a disconnect between the things you say matter, Mr. Politician or Mrs. Politician. I think the things you say matter, there's a disconnect there between what you actually spend your money on. We all know instinctively that money is deeper than our wallets. We know that there's a heart thing going on there And maybe we're too judgmental on on, on that. And and I get that. Um, But we have this like hypocrite meter. And the reason we care is because, and the reason we're talking about this is we are called to be generous people before God. I don't give money to the church because the church needs it. The church needs money, sure. But I give money to the church because God commands it. That God says, hey, be generous with, with your money. And I give money to the church and I give away a portion of my income because I could be greedy. And I don't want to be that. Here's, here's the thing. Greed's an interesting thing. Greed is listed as one of the seven deadly sins, right? So we all know like pride, envy, sloth, lust, like anger. Okay, these are bad, right? And greed's in there. We go, oh man. So we all like know... I shouldn't be greedy. And if I pulled the room right now and said, how many of you dislike it when people are greedy? I'm guessing about 100% of the room would be like, "Ah, well, yeah, I hate it. Like, I hate it when people are greedy. And And if I ask you to name examples of people being greedy, it gets a little tricky, right? You're like, well, they have this, and they have more of this, and they got maybe too much of that, and they have too many acres or too many cars or those sorts of things, we might say. And I think that goes deep in us. Do you remember like when you were six at your birthday party and your cousin took the biggest piece of chocolate cake? That's how deep it goes in us. Like we know. You know your cousin's greedy, right? You're like, that little jerk. This is my party. He was already trying to blow out my candles. And now he's taking the large cake. Like there's something that goes deep in us that we know when someone is taking too much. Right? So if I pulled the room, 100% of the room would say, I don't like it when people are greedy. That's a good question. You know, to think about, like, do do you do you think it's a problem when people are greedy? Here's the better question to ask yourself: How do I know if I'm greedy? How do I know? Well, I'm not. I'm just not. Well, how do you know? I bet greedy people think they're not greedy, don't they? There's nobody think that like, outside of the famous quote from the movie Wall Street in the 80s where he says greed is good, there's not many people in the world that actually think greed is good. And so nobody thinks they're greedy. I, I, don't, I don't think I am because uh, I don't, I don't want to be. But how do you actually know? I think if you give your money away, That's maybe the only indicator you have, at least from a financial, you could be greedy about other things, but from a financial standpoint, if you are giving a percentage of your money away intentionally, not haphazardly, oh, I had an extra five bucks and I threw it in a bucket or something. I mean, intentionally, I sat down and figured out, here's how much I'm making, here's how much I want to give away. And I'm doing it intentionally, strategically, sacrificially, I'm giving so much that it hurts a little bit. Like I'm like, ooh, that's, that's more than, that's uncomfortable. If you are doing that, I think that's the only indicator that you have that says, okay, you're not, you're not greedy because it's, it's like the idea of like, um, if you ate everything on your plate and then you went looking for someone else's plate to eat off of, hey, you're going to finish that. That's greedy, right? We know like, dude, you've had yours and now you want other people's. But when you give money away, it's as if you're saying, I'm not even going to eat everything on my plate. I'm going to take a piece of that and, and share it with other people who maybe don't have or who, who need. Um, I think it's the, it, it's the only way that we can, we can um, intentionally um, fight against greed. I think generosity is the only antidote given to us. And I, and I think that's one of the reasons Jesus calls us to It's because when we intentionally give money away, it, it doesn't just change our checkbook. It changes our heart. It forms our character. It, it it shapes something inside of us and gets us to look out at others and see the needs that are around us because we are generously, intentionally, sacrificially, strategically giving money away at all times. Um, so when you give money away, when you give it to this church, you're, yeah, you're going to support. It supports GBI and Barnabas Center and church planting and other things. But you are helping build a community that is trying to reach this city and mid-Atlantic and the globe for Jesus, to do something that has eternal value. That's what we're doing here. When money goes to, to, I even love that we pay rent here at the bird, you know, and when money is given here to that and we pay rent, we're helping the bird. I mean, who doesn't love the bird? It's the bird. Like, you, you don't have to be from Richmond to know, like, the bird. It's like, oh, we 're helping this place, keep the lights on and keep the floors cleanish. <laughs> so we help uh, we're not you know this money when we give to the bird it 's not like that money goes to like the AMC corporate office in Denver or whatever like no it's locally here in in our community. I think that's a, a cool thing when you. But when you give here, we build out space so that teenagers can hear about God on Sunday nights and connect with God and build a community uh, in, in, a, in a powerful way so they can get into a relationship with Jesus and their eternity can be changed through the ministry that's happening here. When you give to this church, we buy curriculum that we use with children so that in children's ministry, kids can start to know God and understand Jesus in an age-appropriate way. How many of you grew up in churches where it did not connect for you, where you didn't get it, where it didn't matter, where it was weird, where it was awkward, where like stodgy and smelly and old, and this is a little smelly and old, but it's, you know, it's fine. Um, you you grew up in that environment, and, and for many of you, it's a miracle that you're even back in a church today at all, because you were so turned off by the disconnect there, and we are spending money to buy things and to make environments so that kids can know Jesus, so that teens can know Jesus, so that a single mom, when come, she comes in here, gets supported here, so that... uh Families that are working in foster care and adoption get supported here so that marriages that are in crisis can come here and, and meet people and get to, get to know some people and get some counseling. So that people can get financial, go through financial peace and grow stronger there. So people can be in transformation and learn how, to trans, how God can work over their minds and transform their hearts. That is the kind of stuff we do in the church. And I think there's no better way to spend money. There's no better way to invest Because what we do here has eternal value. Not to build up my kingdom, not to build up a kingdom in in, in Richmond or in Vietnam, but to build up God's kingdom here on earth. Now, I realize that the church has problems. Globally, um, this church, I don't have my head in the sand. I know that things are not always perfect. Um, Every church is led by imperfect people. And that sort of trickles on down, right? Like, so I, I, I'm aware of that. I know the stats in, in, in America that churches, are, 90% of churches are um, declining or plateaued. Um, and I and I understand that. So um, if, if you're looking at church in America, you would not describe it as a growth market. Um, that's why people are always surprised at me. They're like, oh, you like pastor a church. So let's like, you know, if, if people aren't part of a church or everything, they, they would say like, Oh, you pastor? Church? Like, it's almost like I didn't know people do that. Like, yes, they they do. There are there that's that's a thing. I I don't I don't have the answers for why the church um, is declining in America. Um, I don't. I've read the articles. I've seen people talk about ways they've been frustrated or abused in churches, and and that stuff makes me sad. And I can't solve it. Um, I have some influence in this place. That's, all, that's what I've got. And I believe that the leadership of this church, the, the men and women who, who are, are leading this community, um, I think they want it to be great. Not for our own greatness or anything like that. I think the people leading in this church love the Lord and they want to help other people love the Lord because God has changed our lives and we want to pass that on to other people. Um, I think think that spirit is here. And so I I give to support what God is doing here. And and truthfully, I give because God commands it. Whether the church was working well or not, or it's doing what I would like it to do or not, I I still would would give because it's what God calls his followers to do, is to be generous people here. I know the church has challenges, but the church is still Jesus' idea and it is meant to bring about transformation. And I see evidence of that all around in this room, uh, in A10 Kids and in, in, in the environments that we have here. So here's my question. Like the, like the manager in the parable, every single one of you, you have a little bit of time and you have a little bit of money. I don't know how long you're going to live, but it's not long in, in the course of history. You're here for a bit. You have a little bit of time and you have a little bit of money. I don't know how much it is. Some of you make very little money. Some of you make a a lot of money. I I don't know. It it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's all still kind of a little bit, right? You have a little bit of time and a little bit of money. The question is, are you willing to leverage that for eternal purposes? Are you willing to say, I'm not going to eat everything on the plate, but I'm going to cut off a piece of that and share it with others. And I know when you talk about giving money away, it kicks up all this emotional stuff in us. Primarily fear. Wait a second. If I give money away, I will, right? What's going to happen? I have these bills. I have, I'm already, you know, I'm in debt this much. And that's a real thing we talked about a few weeks ago. Like, you're going to, you're going to need to deal with that for sure. You need plan. And that's why we do financial peace and other things. Um, but I know it kicks up this emotional stuff in us. Uh, you, you feel that? Same here, man. I've, I've felt that too. Um, and I've felt that, that tension. Um, but we have to remember where we started in this series. We started by saying, look, at the end of the day, the attitude about money for followers of Jesus is that it's all belong, it all belongs to him. We are at best just stewards of his resources. This is not your money, it's his money. And i hope that helps us with the fear a little bit we go okay i can give away a portion of his money like i think that's that'll be okay um that we need to remember when we are using money um we're using his money and stewarding his resources and 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 let that address the fear because ultimately and i think the reason jesus spends so much time on this stuff the money heart connection Ultimately, um, how we spend money is indicative of our trust in God. And we go, do I trust my money to take care of me or do I trust God to take care of me and my money? Um, so let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, man, it, I, I really thank you for this parable and for challenging our thoughts and expectations and challenging um, the way we think about money. God, if the Scriptures are true, then we would expect that the Scriptures do not agree with everything we believe about everything, but that there would be something in there that would push us. And God, maybe someone this morning is feeling pushed or challenged by this. God, I, I pray that we all in the room lean into that challenge, that we, that we grow in our generosity, we get in generous and intentional and sacrificial and strategic about the way we handle our money, even yeah, yes in savings and yes in our spending, reining that in maybe, but, but we would also get very intentional and, and all that about, uh, about the way we give money away. God, we are here for a short time and, and I pray we make the most of it and that we invest in things that last beyond our death, that we invest in eternal, eternal things, in the eternal kingdom that you call us to live in right now. In Jesus' name we pray all these things, amen.